Hello, and welcome to How to Tickle Yourself. I'm your host, Joey of Rock Wedge, along with my co-host, Steph McDonald. Uh, Before I introduce today's guest, I want to introduce today's topic, which is very near and dear to me. My angel of a mother roped me into the importance of eating fresh food and vegetables uh, when I was a teenager. God bless her. I'm so grateful. Um, I believe every single one of us adds to this great play of the universe, and we all have our own unique gift and our own unique way of adding. Today's guest is making lives better one pantry at a time. Her name is Mira Desi, and she is known as the ingredient guru. She's a nutrition educator specializing in helping people eat well to be well using the concept of whole food nutrition. Uh, She's also the author of several books. Um, I just finished one of them, The Pantry Principle. If the measure of a book is that it changes you, then this book is a huge success. Huge. Um, I have been so label ingredient conscious since the first minute I touched it. Um, (laughs) So I keep finding myself in the pantry reading labels. Um, And if you have ever read a food label, then, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff out there that's in our food. Um, like half of it, I don't even know what it is. So hopefully today, Mira is going to help us navigate the labels and um, help us leave behind the things that are harmful and make room for the things that bring more health and wellness into our pantries and into our lives. Welcome to the show, Mira. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm so (laughs) excited to be here with both of you. Thank you so much for having me on. present moment traveling town to town the mystery of the motion right here right now right here right now whoa right here right now So I guess we can start with how did, how did all this come about? How did you become the ingredient guru? What led you, what led you here? Yeah. You know, the, the funny thing is I did not become the ingredient guru overnight. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a very long journey. It started actually with my own health journey at a certain point in my life. I, I actually used to be a database administrator for an international research firm. So totally different brain set. (laughs) And I became very ill. I started having massive health problems. I had depleted energy. For example, I could not walk up a flight of stairs. I had to lie at the top of the stairs. Even if I was going to bed, I had to lie at the top of the stairs and sort of recover and then crawl to bed. If I tried to lift my hands over my head, I would get numbness running down my hands. I would get dizzy. I had pain and bloating. I needed to know where a bathroom was within 10 steps of me at all times. I just, my life changed and it got so overwhelming. I, now I can joke about it at the time. It wasn't funny, but my, my joke is if there was an ist, I had it. Rheumatologist, (laughs) gastroenterologist, cardiologist, like I had them all. And at a certain point, one, the big changing thing for me was this one week where I had two medical appointments. And the first one was with my rheumatologist who said, you know, I think I want to give you this medication, but I don't know if your endocrinologist will like it. So I'm not going to do it. And I'm not a very confrontational person. So I was like, oh, okay. And then I went home and as I'm driving home, I'm getting madder and madder. And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. First of all, why are you going to tell me about it if you're not going to do anything? That does me no good. And secondly, aren't you both doctors? Like, don't you people talk to each other? And the answer, of course, is no, they don't. No. And then a couple of days later, I had a meeting with a new to me cardiologist. And I thought being new to my case, he would want to know everything. So I came in with all my papers ready to share my tale of woe. And he went, Mrs. Desi you are getting older. I was 42. And this man was willing to consign me to a sofa, unable to function, 
for the rest of my life. Wow. And that's what it took for me to get pissed. <laughs> and I, I, I'd been sick for a while, but like that was, that was it between those two appointments. It was like no more. And I went home and, and I've, I've shared this story before. I apologize profusely to the woman who answered the phone because I was not very nice, but I called my insurance company and I just started screaming and at one point, I remember saying something along the lines of, you people are spending tens of thousands of dollars on my care, and I am not getting better. And what are you going to do about it? And, Go, Mira. And I was mad. You know, and the thing is, sometimes it's really hard because my heart goes out to anybody who has any kind of a chronic illness. Because often the medical system either tells us, oh, your labs are fine. Like, you, you know, you know, it's okay. And you're like, I don't feel fine. Or they're not as invested in you wanting to get back to where you are. It's like, oh, just take this pill, you know, just do this. And so we, things don't get better unless we step up. And sometimes you need someone to help you advocate. It takes a lot for you to become your own advocate in the face of a system that says, well, according to our measures, you're fine. Hmm. Um, anyhow, so what, what that bought me was an executive checkup at the Cleveland Clinic. And if you've never had one, an executive checkup is a pretty amazing thing. <laughs> uh, basically, you get assigned a gateway doctor. And you then have a whole lot of appointments over the next four or five days. And every single doctor who is pulled onto your case agrees to stay with you for the four or five days that you are in the system. And every day at the end of the day, they all get together and share what they've talked about. And then they tell your concierge doctor. And then you see that doctor in the morning who tells you what they said and then sends you off to your next appointments. Like it's really mind boggling. And at the end of all of that, two big things happened. One was they did make some changes to my care uh, based on what was already happening, but essentially they included me and made mm. me feel like a valuable participant in my own healthcare, which is what <laughs> it should be all the time. Can I just say that? However, I went home empowered. And the other thing is my brain, my data brain went out of all the things they talked about, nobody talked about food. It's crazy. And I know. <laughs> and so I came back from that appointment. And then my friend, Helene, Helene, who you read about in the book, because I do dedicate part of the book to her, gave me a book about artificial colors. And I went, oh, my. <laughs> and that just began this journey of a nerdly fascination with all the stupid stuff they do to our food. I went back to school and as I got better, people started saying, Hey, like you're looking pretty healthy. Can you, can I talk to you about? And that I started a practice and then I wound up writing the book mostly because I kept repeating myself over and over <laughs> telling people things. I would, and I would walk around going, why am I saying the same thing over and over again? Like, why is there no book? There needs to be a book. It took me about a year to go, oh, wait, wait a minute. Maybe I should write a book. And then I did. And that, that book needs to be in, they need to teach it in second grade. <laughs> they need to educate kids from the beginning so that they don't get roped into all the candy and like the, just the nonsense. So it should be part of the core curriculum. I really feel that, this information is so important. If you choose to eat things that are non-nourishing for you, at least understand that you're making a choice and why are you doing that? But so many of us get, so many of the people that I work with, they don't understand how manipulated they've been by food producers and by companies that have slick advertising or that create these hyper palatable foods that, you know, bet you can't eat just one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and we get sucked into that. And if we really understand what we're looking at when it comes to how we feed ourselves and we shift that to being how we nourish ourselves, the conversation becomes really different. That shift okay, in perspective I, I, is huge. I, I got a, I got a question. When you, so when you look at a food label on a package, what is, what's sort of your framing device? What are you looking at broadly 
You know, we, we used to look at calories, then yeah. now we start looking at sugars. Like, what what do you look at? And and I'm so glad that you asked that because that that label actually is comprised of two parts. The first part is the nutrition facts, and if people read the label, the majority of them look at that. And they're looking for salt, they're looking for sugar, they're looking for fat, maybe they're looking for calories, which is wrong, by the way, because, and we can talk about that in a second, but that number that they give you for calories is totally off. So are all the other numbers, actually. Um, But that's where they look. The more important part is below that on the ingredient panel. So that's what I look at. I'm looking at the ingredients And, you know, it's kind of funny. Sometimes I'll be at a store and I'll see something new and I'll be like, oh, and my husband's like, no, I'm like, I'm I'm not buying it. I just want to see what they're doing, you know, and, and it's interesting the things that they do. So first of all, if it's very long, it's like, "Mm, don't want to eat that. Uh, The other (laughs) thing is I, I hate it when they make gray print on red backgrounds, so hard to read. (laughs) They're following the letter of the law, but dang, it's difficult to know what Mm. you're really putting on yourself. And so I look at that. I also look at what they're doing. I just did a video recently talking about a new cereal that's come out that's supposed to help you sleep. (laughs) Uh, Because they put all kinds of things in it. Oh, yeah. And had seven different names for sugar on there. I don't care how much melatonin they stuff into it. All that sugar (laughs) is not good for you. You know, so those that's what I look at is I go to the ingredient panel first. And then sometimes I sort of scale back up to see if they've got some funny math going on or, you know, is there is there one thing that that you could name that people think is healthy, but isn't (laughs) like, would it be cereal? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, cereal's a big one. I'm not a fan of cereal. Part of the reason for that is, A, it's an exploded grain. So Mm. as far as our body is concerned, it's a sugar itself. Like it just processes so quickly in the body. Um, But I would say that the biggest thing that I see that people think is healthy that isn't granola bars or energy Mm. bars, those are basically grown up candy bars. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they are. And everybody thinks, oh, it's healthy. It's a healthy snack. It's got it has you know, nuts. grams of protein. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's got sugar and it's maybe not balanced the way your body really needs it to. And part of the challenge is some people get so hungry that they'll eat two or three of those and then dinner comes and they're not hungry anymore. Guilty. <laughs> you know, so so that I think is probably one of the biggest ones. And um can you talk uh, just a little bit about um, MSG? Because oh, I've yeah. I've avoided it and I always, you know, I try, but um, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and he's like, oh, I thought MSG is okay. It's just salt, isn't it? And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> no. So can you go into that just a little bit? Because it's in a lot. It's sort of, and it's in a lot of stuff kind of disguised. Yeah, you know, part of the challenge with monosodium glutamate is that it is a free glutamic acid that actually can overexcite our our brain, overstimulate us. And there are so many times that it has been in studies linked to things like migraines or other health issues. And the challenge is it's in so many things, like you said, because it has so many different names, you know, so hydrolyzed proteins, autolyzed proteins. I get really frustrated sometimes. I'll look at, for example, a can of soup and it'll say, no, added MSG on the front of the package, but you flip it over and it's got a yeast extract in there. Well, chances are really high that that yeast extract is a form of Mm. monosodium glutamate. And it it's there because it makes us think that things taste better. So that's why they that's partly why they use it. What are its its handles? What does it sneak in under? Well, like the biggest it- the biggest ones I, I tell people, if you can watch out for anything that says glutamate, anything that says autolyzed, anything that says hydrolyzed, those three words will knock out the vast majority of it. And then, you know, there are some other little ones that that it just, it starts getting very confusing. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Part of the reason I wrote this book 
was to have it as a resource for people, because mm-hmm. I don't expect you to keep everything in your brain. I I want you to have a trusted place that you can come and go, wait, what was that? And look that up again. I also love the fact that we now, you know, we have these things so we can take a picture of the label and come home and read the book or look it up in the book instead of, because what I used to say to people was bring it home, go through the label. And if you don't like it, bring it back to the store. Now I say, don't buy it, take a picture of the label, go look it up when you get home and then either buy it or not. It's yeah, it's like, it's, it's just tricky. Like I, I think everyone thinks they eat well, like people will be like, Oh, you know, I, but I think generally people think, Oh, my diet's all right. Um, but then when you actually get into it and start looking at it, it's really kind of terrifying. Um, so I have some questions that are just like, uh, specific, I think for us, nut milk is nut milk. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and here's the thing. I, I want to really start before we start diving into these kinds of things, mentioning that every family has their own food culture. And I'm not a big fan of putting a good or a bad label on specific foods on ingredients. Yes. Like, please don't eat artificial colors, artificial, blah, blah, blah. But when it comes to certain foods, some of it is how much, if it agrees with you, I also don't believe, I don't care how healthy sardines are. If you're allergic to fish, please don't eat sardines. You know, like <laughs> we, we have to make decisions. Um, so I think nut milks can be healthy. The biggest challenge is if you're not making them yourself, then you need to look at what's also in them. Any that have an ingredient called carrageenan, I'm a huge, huge advocate for avoiding carrageenan as much as possible. And unfortunately it appears in almost every single aisle of the grocery store. And what is it? I thought it was, when I first read it, I thought it was seaweed. Is it, it is a seaweed, but it is a, a particular type of seaweed that because of the way we process it can be very bad for the gut. Now cultures that have carrageenan locally, the way they consume it is fine. But commercially in America, the way we process it, all of a sudden a whole bunch of things happen and it can cause renal bumps, bumps on the kidney. It can cause ulcerative colitis, like inflammation in the system. So it's just not a good thing to have at all. We want to avoid that. The other thing that tends to appear in a lot of nut milks are gums, you know, food food gums. I'm not opposed to those. However, the way those gums work when they're in things, they're emulsifiers, they're slight, they're thickeners, so they give it a little bit of a better mouthfeel. Because if you've ever made your own nut milk, you know it's very thin. And so commercially, it's a little bit thicker because they add these. How much are you getting? You need to be aware of how your body's reacting. If you start having some tummy issues, then maybe you need to cut back on that. And because part of the way they work is they draw fluid into the system. So all of a sudden we can start having constipation or diarrhea, Mm. depending on what's going on. Some people get bloating if they're getting too much of it. So just being aware that it's in your food. And then, you know, one of the biggest challenges I have is that for so many of us, many of the things that are in food are considered, you know, generally recognized as safe. They're okay but they're okay up to a certain point and nobody's keeping track of how much you're really eating in a day. So that's where, again, we just have to look at it. You just have to be aware of it. If you're someone who maybe puts a little bit of nut milk in your coffee in the morning, and then you have a bowl of cereal with nut milk, and then you have a smoothie with nut milk, and then you like, you could have it four or five, six times a day, every day, all of a sudden you're getting a lot of those gums. That's not a great choice. Right. And uh, so uh, just changing gears just a little bit. So with all of the diet fads, like, you know, Def and I went through a sort of a keto phase um, and our cholesterol went crazy. And then uh, I, I kind of, I think it's easy to lose track of what is a healthy diet? Like, what do you eat? Are beans okay? Is rice okay? Like, what is, the, you know, the food pyramid that we had as kids, like that, that's not, it's not the way, right? I mean, that's a, it's not right. <laughs> so, and and I, I love, I love that you're bringing that up. You know, this goes back to what I was talking about with 
food cultures, there is no one size fits all mm. diet. You will never ever see a book that says the ingredient guru diet. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And, and everybody has to figure out what works for them. Now I will say, what do we eat? Well, it's a four letter word food. Um, but we, we have to make sure that we are eating certain things within the diet to make it healthy. We want to make sure we're getting enough vegetables. We want to make sure that we're getting a healthy source of protein. We want to make sure that we have good sources of fat. I'm not a fan of things like um, canola oil or soy or, you know, those kinds of things that corn oil, they're not good for us. So if you're going to eat fat, then olive oil, avocado oil, um, olives, avocados, coconut, um, you know, those kinds of things are great. If you're someone who's willing to eat schmaltz or things like that, that's good too, you know, but it's, it's a matter of making sure that you're getting nutritional diversity mm. and balance in the diet and that the things that you're eating are going to be nourishing to your body. Now, there are some cultures where, yes, they eat more rice than others. Well, that's that's their culture. They also tend to get a lot of vegetables and, you know, a little bit of protein and they have a more balanced diet. There are other, you know, we look at the Eskimos and traditional Inuit diet is something like 80 percent, you know, meat and fat and they do fine. <laughs> But if we try to eat that way, we don't do fine. So we really have to make sure that we're getting the balance that our body needs and truthfully trying to avoid a lot of the processed stuff. And and one of the issues, and I'm just going to divert for a second here, I get really upset now. I go to the grocery store and I see things like keto cookies, keto ice cream. You know? It's like they sold this whole thing about keto so healthy for you. And then now they're selling keto crutch foods because it's profitable, but that's not healthy. Joey, about impossible burgers. <laughs> no. Impossible oh, burgers and vegan Those. cheese. I love the new vegan cheeses, but I was like, are they, are they okay? And I think they have a lot of starch. But yeah. I think, I think there doesn't seem to be anything too crazy except food starch. And oh, wait. Modified, so food modified. Is an energy dense food. So there's there's two different things to keep in mind. One is nutrient dense, and those are foods that maybe don't have as many calories, but they have a lot of nutrition. And you know, vegetables, proteins, fats, those kinds of things fall into that category. Then there's energy dense foods, and these are things that don't have a lot of nutrition but have a lot of calories. And starches are something that our body sucks up really fast. It's like another form of sugar. You know, it's kind of weird. You can have a slice of cake and a piece of bread. And as far as your body is concerned, they're both kind of the same. They don't taste the same, but they they get processed very, very rapidly because they're so, so easy to break down. So impossible I, burgers I, are out. Is that, is that you I'm said? I'm not no. a fan <laughs> of the of the impossible burger or the beyond burger or those kinds of things. Uh, first of all, they, they tend to be made with genetically modified ingredients. And mm. one of the biggest problems with anything that's genetically modified is typically when it comes to the plant-based stuff, it's genetically modified so that they can hit it excessively with Roundup and kill weeds. <laughs> And so there's there's a few things that come out of that. One is that the the plant takes that up. So it becomes ingrained in the plant. It doesn't go away when you process it. The other thing is Roundup has an ingredient in it called glyphosate, which is a chelator. That means it binds to things. And in the soil, it binds to things like calcium and other vitamins and minerals. So the plant all of a sudden has a whole lot less. And it's also not great for the gut. It actually can destroy some of the microbiome. So I'm just not a fan of anything genetically modified. All right. Goodbye, Impossible Burgers. <laughs> that, that's horrible news. I love Impossible Burgers. Okay, I got a question. Mary, yes. you, were, you were just alluding to this, but um, I want to put it another way. Joey is the first person who ever uh, raised the idea to me that you were talking about different food cultures. But she she was very specific about it. She's like, you want to eat food 
that thrives where you live because you live there. So you mm-hmm. want to be sort of in sync with uh, the sort of stuff that is locally um, fruitful and vibrant. Is that a thing for you? Yes. And I think we have become so globally mobile that we have to remember sometimes we also come from somewhere else and there may be certain cultural Mm. foods that fit our, our genotype or Mm -hmm. our, you know, I had a conversation with someone uh, not that long ago and she was talking about the fact that she grew up in the Middle East and for her, there were certain foods that were very much a part of her culture. And then she came here and she became a nutrition professional. And she's like, oh, can't have any of these starches, can't have any of this stuff. And she deprived herself for a very long time. And it was difficult. And then at a certain point, she went, you know, this is just part of the culture I grew up with. And she had a little bit. She's like, oh, it was so good. Mm-hmm. And it's not a food that she overeats, but it's something that completes a meal for her. And I feel like when we learn how to eat in a way, local is great because obviously we want less food miles. We want things that are grown where we are. That's fabulous. But also things that are are culturally satisfying, like food is supposed to be enjoyed and savored. And when we do that, we often eat less because we're Mm. meeting our nutritional needs on so many different levels. It's more of a mind body sort of link together, right? It pulls it all in. It is. And uh, what about uh, sugar? Like I know in the pantry principle, you mentioned some like even fruit, like fruit is still sugary, but Mm -hmm. does the fiber in it balance it out? Like we've Mm -hmm. been having in the morning when Duff and I first started dating, I, we weren't allowed to have bananas (laughs) in our smoothies because I thought they had too much sugar. And so, uh, but now I've let bananas back in the house. So we have just fruit in the morning, berries and banana and water. It's like, it's not too exciting, but is that sugar okay? Is there enough fiber that it sort of balances? Sure. And I will say, you know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to fruit. I think some people are more sensitive to fruit sugars than others. Yes. The fiber helps slow it down for bananas. I am a fan of going for bananas that are a little bit more on the green side, because that is actually something called a resistant starch, which feeds the, the bacteria in our tummy. They love that. We can't break it down as much, but they love it. So it helps them. So that's not a bad thing. And, and starting with that is not bad. I, I think the challenge is you know, we say fruits and vegetables and really it should be vegetables and fruits. So you get people mm. like, oh, I can eat five or six servings of fruit a day. <laughs> it's like, yeah, let's try dialing that back to two or three and upping the veggies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do a lot. We do a lot of veggies. And that's like, great. Yeah. 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 We're trying to grow them, all of them, but it's really, <laughs> it's a little tricky. Yeah, uh, I know. In the Northeast, it's really challenging unless you've got a cold frame or a greenhouse. There's a we certain a- point where, yeah. Yeah, we have a greenhouse. It's oh, pretty that's great. great. Yeah, and it's awesome. I, so I will tell you, sprouts are fabulous. If you do microgreens, that's a great way to get your veggies too. Those are like micronutrient powerhouses. Oh yeah, we do a lot of sprouts. My mom gave that's me a sprouter great. for um, for Christmas. And so we, we have sprouts all the time now. Um, so just changing gears just a little, um, packaging and foods. Like I was sort of horrified that, uh, even when I buy organic food, sometimes at the grocery store, they've wrapped it in plastic. It was like, I try to weed plastic out and eventually I'd love to be plastic free, but it's really difficult. But, uh, even cans and things like that, like you go into it a little bit. Can you just tell us, um, what are the, how do we navigate packaging? That is a really challenging issue. Some of it depends on where you live. Uh, you know, I I'm I love the idea of these zero packaging grocery stores. You know, you see them mm. sometimes on YouTube or whatever. Mm. I'm like, that would be great. I would love it. And one of my daughters lives up in Dallas and her grocery store has a phenomenal bulk bin section. I love that. 
Otherwise, you just have to do the best you can. One thing that I have learned, however, and I thought it was just for grocery bags, you know, the plastic sacks that you put your groceries in, but many grocery stores have these recycle bins where you can put those plastic bags back in the bin. It turns out they will also take some of the other kinds. They won't take the thin plastic that's on meat or vegetables or like the very, very thin plastic, like the saran wrap kind of stuff, but the other plastics like cereal liners and those kinds of things, they will take those. And those all get recycled into something like Trex, (laughs) plastic (laughs) lumber. So uh, they do at least have another use beyond that. And I would say you have to simply do the best you can. Obviously, if you guys are growing things, that's going to reduce your impact when it comes to produce and that kind of thing. And then for the other things, you know, I, I, um, Sometimes I'll shake boxes and depending on how it sounds, it's like, oh, I don't think there's any plastic in there. (laughs) Like, that's great. But sometimes you just, you can't avoid it. Like I know if I want a good cheese where I live, most of the cheese is going to come wrapped. There's not much I can do about it. And are those type of plastics, I mean, are they considered safe? Are they, you know, are we getting, are we eating more plastic than we think we We, are? We are. (laughs) We are. Now I will say that, For things that are room temperature or cold, the impact of plastic is less, but if it's touching the food, some of it, some of those molecules are getting into the food. They just are Mm. things that are hot. That is definitely getting in because it's softening those molecules and then Mm. they get into the food. So we really try to avoid that as much as possible. And, and that's why when it comes to cans and things like that, I, I have a, an article on my blog about companies that are committed to not using not just BPA, but any of the bisphenols in the plastic liners in their cans. And, and actually that's one of the things that happens sometimes, you know, companies will say no BPA and it sounds great, but it's plastic. And if it's plastic, it's got some kind of a bisphenol in it. And so it's going to get in because there's BPS and, you know, BPF and all these other kinds of plastic. And why are those bad for us? Can you just uh, sure. get into oh, it a little? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest challenges with a lot of these plastics is they are what's called obesogenic. So they impact our hormones and can cause our, our tissues to swell, our cells to swell as if they've been exposed to hormones. And that then becomes problematic. Yeah, I know. And then we start having problems because all of a sudden detox pathways don't work well and other things are going on with the body because we're being flooded with these things that are helping us essentially gain weight and hold on to all of these, these toxins and everything else because of this impact. That's what you wrote a book about plastic. Is plastic making you... I don't want to get an anxious. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <And> anxious. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. That's it, next on know, my and, list. And I think the, the biggest challenge with that, as far as I'm concerned, is yeah, all of us should not be exposed to that, but children especially. And they're mm. so overexposed. And children are not just miniature adults. Like they proportionally get way more than we do during a developmental phase that can really significantly impact them. So it's, it's a big problem and something that we need to try to watch out for as much as possible. And I also, I encourage people don't feel like you have to go crazy. You know, I, I recently (laughs) did a I, I have a I have a community. It's called the Preparedness Pantry Masterclass, where I teach people how to build a preparedness pantry, how to have the things that you need on hand so that during an emergency or whatever, you don't have to worry about rushing out to the grocery store. You've got what you need, that kind of thing. And we talked about personal care items. And I was talking about all the different things that don't have plastic in them that I use in my home. For example, a deodorant that comes in a paper tube. And um, I have, I don't use Q-tips anymore. I have this, this silicone swab that I use. But I, what I realized was it's taken me years. So a little bit at a time, it's like, okay, I can fix this one thing. Oh, here's another one. I keep these next to me all the time. I love these things. These are highlighter <laughs> pencils. 
I know. Right. And they last forever too. I mean, they're so good, but they're pencils so that as you sharpen them, it's wood, which is, you know, obviously going to break down well. And the, the stuff that they're using is not harmful for you. (laughs) I know they're great. Multiple colors. I love them. Uh, you know, but again, that was something a little bit at a time. So whether you're changing your food, whether you're changing your personal care, whether you're changing products that you use in your home, the goal is to not go, okay, I'm going to write down everything she's saying. And then tomorrow we're changing everything. (laughs) Don't, don't do that. Just one step at a time. Like, what can I change? What can I do differently? You know, I think Ayurveda talks about that a little bit. They Like if you want to make a permanent change, you need to do it a little bit at a time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just going to come and go. It's not going to settle in. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and we also need to keep in mind that every single change we make is one thing more than we were doing before. So don't go, oh, I'm not doing as much as so-and-so or I should be doing more. No, you're doing what you're able to do right now. You do that. And then when you've mastered that, then you're ready to move on with confidence and sustainability. It's interesting. In in Tickled, I made the point that we we uh, we had we were underappreciating the small changes that most of us made during quarantine because it was mm-hmm. such a reset that we couldn't help but stop doing some things and start doing some new things. But because we're too focused on the big statistics. We, we didn't give ourselves credit or congratulations for some of the self-improvement. Wait, we've buried the lead here. You wrote a book about kombucha. (laughs) No, that's Hannah. I, I have a teeny weeny little book about kombucha. Hannah wrote the big book of kombucha. (laughs) Okay. So Hannah Crum is the, uh, our, our, the uh, kombucha mama, she introduced us to you. She introduced yes. us to Jane Hogan. Uh, you guys are you got you guys are like a marauding army of health <laughs> uh, eating healthier, just sort of steamrolling into people's houses and making us all healthier. <laughs> Well, our goal is that we're going to make it so inviting that you will want to do this. (laughs) And another thing I saw on your site, you uh, you you created a mandala coloring book. Yes. So so weird. I did that because I I love to doodle. That is my favorite form of meditation. Like I can literally sit there and zone out for a very long time just doodling. And I'm trying to see if I have one close by that I could. Oh, so my, my brother, uh, I have two brothers. Uh, my brother, Steve, is a, a fine artist. Uh-huh. Uh, and he was one of the leading uh, lights of the adult coloring book craze. Oh, he, wow. He, he, he had like six r- huge bestsellers. Uh, and one of them was Mandala. There's a bunch of mandalas throughout them. It was called Fantastic Cities. It's the fantastic series, Steve McDonald. Wow. Check them out. They'll, I will they'll blow have your to mind. Look that up. Um, so what happened is I so I I also wrote this book, Beyond Meditation, Making Mindfulness Accessible for Everyone, with my dear friend and co-author Carrie McClure. And so one of the things we included were some of my doodles in the book. <laughs> wow, I great. love to doodle. And uh, you know, people would see them sometimes and they're like, man, I just want to color that. And <laughs> So at a certain point, I decided that instead of drawing them myself, because, you know, my line's not that good and I don't have all the software and everything, uh, but I put together a bunch of mandalas and I had someone make them for me, but uh, they were beautiful and I put it together and I put it up and then all of a sudden COVID happened. And so it was like the perfect thing. Right, right, <laughs> you know, yeah. This is a great stress reliever, guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, there is meditation for everyone. Like I, I'm a, a huge believer in meditation. Like it just, it changes you if you could do it. But so many people are like, I can't meditate. I've mm-hmm. tried. And then that's it. They give up. So your book, uh, you find a way in for everybody. Just a little. Yeah. So in the book, I talk about the fact that I am what I call a meditation dropout. You know, I had so many friends <laughs> like, oh, if you could just learn, like you'd be so blissful. It'd be so wonderful. And I... I just have a really hard time with that. And I kept trying all these different things. And what I learned on that journey was 
There are so many different ways to incorporate mindfulness and meditation into your life. And doodling is still my favorite, but I also have some others that I incorporate now. But in, in the book, it's half book, half workbook. So in the back, we have like, you know, workbook pages and mm. prompts for people and different things that you can do. There's like dozens of different ways to incorporate some kind of mindfulness practice. And I find that for a lot of people, when they really start, even if it's just two minutes, and that's, the, you know, that's my big hook. When I'm trying to encourage people to do it, I say, well, you brush your teeth for two minutes a day. And if you twice a day, and if you can do that, you can meditate for two minutes twice a day, I promise mm -hmm. you. And they start discovering that it's like this little reset break and it feels really good. And then two minutes becomes five minutes. And for some people, it becomes a lot. You know, um, I certainly am not one of those people personally who can sit blissed out for 30 to 60 minutes. I just have a really hard time with that. But I can tell you, I can sit there and doodle a page for a very long time. And I, <laughs> I have discovered that um, cause I had help. I had someone sitting with me when I did this, who sort of monitored me, like my blood pressure dropped, my breathing rate changed, my wow. pulse rate changed, you know, cause I just, I can just sit there and lose like, and even coloring in a coloring book, going for a walk in the woods, hugging a tree, you know, there's so <laughs> many things you can do. Yeah. Joey, li Joey likes tree to hug trees. She talks to trees too. Yeah. I trees do. are wonderful. I tell them, thank you. Like you yeah. get kind of blissed out just walking through the woods, thinking the trees, like it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's a meditation. I actually, the other day I live in an area where we have lots of trees and we have, uh, over 150 miles of hiking and biking trails throughout the community. Wow. And I was walking on the trails and I saw a tree that had an orange ribbon on it. And I was like, what the heck? And then I looked up and realized it was dead. And I was walking with a friend and I leaned over and I'm hugging the tree. She's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm thanking it because it's about to be cut down. But it was a tree for a long time and it had a pretty good sized trunk. You know, it just, it didn't make it through the, the brutal summer that we had followed by a very bitterly cold winter. And so it's coming down. So I said, thank you, tree, for being here. You yeah, guys are, you, you guys are, you guys are officially soul sisters now. <laughs> I love you, Vera. Jo Joey could say that. All right. So, uh, Mira Desi, thank you so much. Where can our, uh, what's your website? Where can people check you out? The best place to find me is the ingredient Okay. And, uh, there's all the, your main book is the pantry principle, right? Yes, That's my a, primary book is the pantry principle, how to read the label and understand what's really in your food. All right. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Although, um, you kind of ruined one of my favorite meals. I don't think I'm getting any impossible burgers anymore. Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, but it's been uh, but wonderful. Be healthier and, for it. Yeah. yeah. And there are other delicious things to eat. Yeah. I'll make you a mushroom, like a portobello or something. I'll forgive you eventually. <laughs> just not right now. Thank you. This has been Thank so you. educational and, and informative. And uh, yeah, it's wonderful talking to you. It was so great to talk with both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. That was Mira Desi. She is part of, I mentioned it in the show there. Uh, she is part of the Hannah Crumb gang that Hannah introduced us to. Uh, they have a book club. Uh, but it's a bunch of uh, female um, founders and sort of healthcare or wellness uh, people. Uh, but combined, wow, that's a powerhouse. Right, Those they're saving are, the world. <laughs> they're saving the world and one one gut and, <laughs> and uh, mind and everything at a time. So thank you, Hannah, for... Uh, bringing us into the fold here. But wow, Mira, what a what a what a she's such a sweet soul. Just mind blowing. Like really, it really is that the fact that that we're so unaware of what's actually in our food and we're like, oh, it's been tested. It's safe. And there's so much out there that isn't really safe. <laughs> it's not healthy. Maybe it's it's safe in small amounts, but it's definitely not good for us. 
So, uh, so yeah, more weeds, more weeds in the house, Duffy G. <laughs> you know, um, Marguerite, my daughter, is always asking, is this food good for you? And I think now the answer is, well, did it come in a package? Because if it did, um, I'm guilty. You know, she brought up the granola bar thing. I went deep into those like uh, <laughs> ones that have the half side of them with the icing on it. It's like that one. You can't oh, even really yeah. deny it. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the the food industry now, they're selling basically candy bars for adults and they market them by saying there's protein in them as if that's some kind of virtue. Right. It's like, no. Um, yeah, there's protein and a whole bunch of other stuff. Yeah, uh, it's a. It's kind of shocking. I um, it, I watched the documentary Fed Up and because I was eating a lot of those bars, it was part of my, my diet because I was like, oh, it's got nuts. It has some sugar, but it's got nuts in it. Nuts are good for you, right? And I watched uh, Fed Up and it was it went through and said how much sugar was actually in it and kind of that was a, a definitely a turning point for my for my diet. And I I asked them. Somehow they snuck back into the pantry though. <laughs> And um, uh, Mira's book, it, it lays it out pretty well, clearly in there. I haven't read it yet. Well, it's going to live in the pantry. So if you go in and you have any questions about anything, you can just pick it up and, and check it out. So um, I've got one for you, Joey. This one came, uh, I was reading this. Um, I was reading a book where they were talking about, okay, so there, there is your soul or your spirit that, um, is eternal and that isn't, um, you know, trapped or contained solely within the body, um, and outlasts the body and outlives the body and all that. And, but the, the point they were making in there is the place that it gets reflected in your awareness is in something called the buddhi, which is sort of part of the mind. And the uh, writer said the reason this happens is because it's the most pellucid um, <laughs> part of you, which means uh, translucently clear, like lucid. Ah. So pellucid, pellucid, pellucid. <laughs> so, so it means lucid in style or meaning, uh, or something that's translucently clear, like mountains reflected in pellucid waters. Uh -huh. so, so the reason that we confuse our soul with our mind is because the mind, unlike the body, is formless right and it is uh doesn't have a materiality to it so it's a better reflector of the spirit than other parts of you the entity that's you would be so that's why uh it the soul gets reflected in the mind because the mind is pellucid and um, I'm going to start, you know, you, they, you could say that someone writes in pellucid prose. It sounds almost <laughs> like an insult, but it's actually a compliment. <laughs> pellucid. It, pellucid. I get a little pellucid. Pellucid. I'll have to try to work it in. I'm right. not sure. Yeah. I'm feeling Translu very pellucid today. <laughs> translucently clear. I can see right through you. <laughs> All right. So, um, I, from what I'm told, you uh, arrived here with some kind of closing quote for this episode. Is that true? That's right. Um, so, um, okay. So, I, I actually have a couple of quotes. Um, one is about plants, and it comes from Braiding Sweetgrass from Robin Wall Kimmerer, which is one of my favorite books. Says plants are also integral to reweaving the connection between land and people. A place becomes a home when it sustains you, when it feeds you in body as well as in spirit. To recreate a home, the plants must also return. 
And I think that's, uh, it works in with Mira just because I think we've gotten so far away from what our food is actually supposed to be. Um, Robin in her book said that plants, the Native American word in her culture for plant was the ones that help us. <laughs> so we're supposed to be eating the ones that help us. <laughs> Not the ones that have been like smushed and, and melted and wrapped in plastic. Good one. Although I have a Oribindo to close. Do you have a different okay. one? Or were you going to no, no, steal no, no. my Oribindo? No. I was going to steal your Oribindo, but I think, uh, I think you have a really great way of reading Oribindo. So please. Well, this one is, uh, makes the very same message as, as your Robin Wall Kimmerer one just did. And, uh, and uh, as a nod to Mira Desi, who's trying to focus uh, us on uh, eating healthy foods, uh, Oryabindo has a commentary on something called the Prashna Upanishad, which is a, a piece of Hindu scripture. And he says, food is the eternal father, for of this came the seed and of the seed is the world of creatures born. Could there be a more important thing to keep in mind uh, than uh, the thing that you're putting in your mouth is the eternal father <laughs> and, and the seed of all the creatures that will be born after you that will feed on you and the things that come out of you and the universes you create. So thank you, Mira Desi. Yeah, thank it's you, Mira. Been, it was, was a delight. And uh, thank you, listeners. We'll be back with you in a week. Bye-bye. At the present moment, traveling town to town, the mystery of the motion right here, right now. been listening to How to Tickle Yourself with your hosts, Duff McDonald and Matt McButter. You can help us by liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast with others. You can talk to us and see what else is happening on Instagram and Facebook at How to Tickle Yourself. This program was recorded in Studio B of the historic Rockledge Recording Studio and the Tunnel Under Arundel. Right here, right now, our original 16-part theme music was written and recorded by the legendary Paul Reddick and Kyle Ferguson of the Sidemen with the brilliant Steve Mariner on bass and drums and in the mixing room. The podcast is produced and distributed by Storic Media. Our editor is Andrew Steiner. Our coordinator is Samantha Abramovitz. Our producers are Kristen Verbitsky and Chuck LaBella. For more information, visit storicmedia.com. That's S-T-O-R-I-C media.com. My love, my dear.